Welcome to Politics Done Differently, a no-frills political podcast for the everyday voter, aiming to engage Australians in the political agenda. Hosted by Katarina Sullivan, businesswoman, award-winning sustainability expert, and political junkie. This episode of Politics Done Differently is brought to you by Strategic Sustainability Consultants, an Australian-based consultancy working with businesses, governments, and not-for-profits to assist them in becoming economically, socially, and environmentally sustainable. Hello and welcome to the next episode of Politics Done Differently. I'm sitting in Goulburn Mulwari Council, the Civic Centre with Mayor Bob Kirk. Mayor Kirk, welcome to the show. Good morning, Katerina. Or afternoon. Yes, afternoon. And I understand that you had a birthday over the weekend. So from yeah. Politics Done Differently, happy belated birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, another one of those tick that box. Yep. <laughs> Milestone event. Um, brilliant. Yeah. Um, and just before we started, we were talking a little bit about rail trails, um, which is a personal passion of yours. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes, well... Rail trails exist all over the world. Rail trails is the the reuse of a, a disused rail uh, rail corridor when there's there's no option uh, or future likelihood of the reintroduction of rail service. So uh, <clears throat> you know, over the throughout the world, uh, these trails exist and they're used mainly for cycling and uh, walking uh, tracks along those corridors, and they <clears throat> they provide access to areas of the countryside that uh, people who use road or uh, more normal or any other means of transport don't very often get to see and won't very often while ever there's no services being provided. So New South Wales is one of the few states in Australia that has no rail trails on government lines, uh, disused government lines. Uh, there's a pilot project currently underway up at Tumbarumba to try to prove the, the value of them. Mm-hmm. There's 40 something or other rail trails in Victoria. There's any number of them uh, in New Zealand and uh, you, stats will tell you that there's half of uh, the state of New South Wales go and spend or escape from New South Wales to go and spend their money in Victoria and New Zealand to ride their rail trails because there's none here. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm a strong... We have a potential rail trail between Goulburn and Crookville, 56 kilometres long. The plan is to take up the rail, make it safe for pedestrian and cycle riders uh, such that they can ride those lovely lengths of uh, gently sloping rail line roadways, if you like, without having to go up hills or down dales, uh, to deal with potholes, to deal with trucks. Uh, and it's a nice, safe, friendly family um, environment and uh, you get to see scenery that you don't get to see otherwise. So, yes. So it's a, it's, a, it's a great use of a state-owned asset that we're trying to convince the government they've got to invest heavily in. And we're ready as a locally uh, operated uh, rail trail user group to take that project on once they give us the go ahead and we've been lobbying the government very hard uh-huh. uh, for a lot of years mm-hmm. not very successfully at this stage but we we're, we're getting there i believe and in the not too distant future i hope to see that uh, you know the, the government will permit the further use of and expansion of rail trails in new south wales and golden crook will be the first one on the on the on the boards, I hope. Yes, <laughs> that would be amazing. It would be amazing because they produce a whole lot of benefit to the community. You know, mainly around tourism, of course, mm-hmm. because there'll be people. We've got the, the highest uh, bike riding capital 
per head per population in Canberra, yes. right next, down the road, they'll come up here to use that and to experience that. Sydney, there's five or six million people down there that, you know, even if 1% of them were to go and ride a bike on a rail trail once a year, it's yep. a big number, um, etc. So, you know, we've got a very uh, high audience uh, and, and a user potential that will add a great deal of economic value. Uh, the projection is that it would add something in the order of $3.5 million a year to the spend in our local communities. That's amazing. Uh, simply just by day trippers and one, you know, a few staying overnight. Uh, I think those numbers on their own are staggering. Yes, yeah. Um, and I think they're understated by about half, to be honest. I yeah. think they'd be much better than that. So, but there's not only that, there is the, uh, you know, the adaptive reuse of a state-owned asset already, mm-hmm. uh, which has currently just been neglected. Uh, there is the health and well-being benefits that come with it uh, from uh, the, the fact that people are out getting exercise, involving family, uh, it's a whole, just much better state. There is the environmental uh, benefits, there is just the aesthetic pleasure of riding I don't know whether you'd call it pleasure right at the minute, in the middle of winter of driving between Goulburn and Crookwell, but <laughs> <laughs> um, you go to places through forests that's basically never been touched, and yeah. through cuttings and things, areas that people never see. So nature lovers, um, you know, environmentalists are going to enjoy the opportunity. So it ticks a lot of boxes. Mm. Um, anyway, I got involved because I recognised the economic and the environmental values it will provide mm. to a community and our community in particular so yeah. I'm not I was quoted I'm not a biker I'm not a hiker but I'm a liker <laughs> I like that and I did yeah so I like what it produce, will produce yeah. and it will be a reason for people another reason for people to come to this area yeah. and enjoy what we've got to offer yeah well in my work I do a lot around sustainability and we talk about economic, social and environmental benefits of yeah. different projects and this sounds something that ticks all those three boxes so yep. hopefully it works out for you. Yeah. Um, what is your relationship like with state government? Do you have a lot to do with them yes. and how do they help you mm. in your role as oh, mayor? Absolutely. In terms of rail trail or in terms of my... In terms of everything. Well in terms of rail trail, I mean mm-hmm. right or wrong, every time Mr Deputy Premier Barilaro sees me, he, he I know he switches on Bob Kirk rail trail <laughs> now which is good yeah uh, but I'd also like uh, I don't want that to be the dominant thought in his mind because I obviously have a lot of other issues uh, on behalf of this Golden Warri community that I need to represent to him sure. so I don't want to figure that I'm a single um, purpose person uh, that uh, but rail trails is an important one and he has and accepts that I have a I, I have a, a direct uh, connection there and and that's good. Uh, the Department of Premier and Cabinet have been very helpful in uh, discussion with uh, our progressing our plans on a rail trail, as they have been with many of the other issues that we need to deal with in our community. Yep. So I've, I'd like to think I've got a good relationship with, with state government, yep. um, particularly Department of Premier and Cabinet, but you know, we, we deal with all sorts of uh, uh, sections of um, government, and yeah, no, I, I, I'd like to think that I've got a, you know, access to those that I need to have access to. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And in your term, you've done a lot of projects around recycling and water treatment <coughs> and things like that. I understand. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, in fact, I, uh, you know, we were on the news last night on ABC. Uh, uh, there was a story about 
you know, the uh, state of dams and water security across New South Wales. And while many other towns and areas are experiencing great problems in those areas, um, <clears throat> Goulburn stood out as an example of what happens when you do address the, your water security issues. And we've done that over the years. <clears throat> I got onto council in 2008, and that was just towards the end of the millennium drought. But we were on level five water restrictions here in Goulburn. And I laughingly tell people that was almost shower with a friend mm -hmm. time, you know, the water was so getting so scarce. Uh, we were widely known and advertised, or if you like promoted, as the town without water. And unfortunately, a lot of people still think that's the case. Yeah. So I take every opportunity I can to dispel the myth. Mm. Um, <clears throat> we had, um, uh, so when I got onto council, there was a decision to be made as to whether or not we could increase our catchment area to add, add more water to our supply, or we'd go with a pipeline process, which we ultimately did, and that cost $50 million. Um, that uh, took uh, 81 kilometres of pipeline to be laid from the Windsor Caribbean uh, water uh, co connection to here. Um, <clears throat> and the day, pretty much the day after we turned it on and everything worked, it rained. So we've never had to use it. We've never had to use it through essential needs, yep. but we do use it constantly to keep it working, yep. to keep the water moving, to keep the the joints all <clears throat> wet and, yep. and together. Um, but we've not had to use it to supplement our water supply. But we do, as a matter of course. Uh, as a result, here we are, where everybody else is in some sort of drought situation. Now, we, in terms of consumable water, have seventy percent storage, uh, usable water in our storages at the, mo at the moment, which is you know, 11,500 megalitres of water, which is pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good place to be. And we have no water restrictions here. Yeah. So um, uh, we're in that situation. Like We raised our dam wall to increase our storage. We have recently uh, built a $30 million wastewater treatment plant now, which produces almost potable water mm -hmm. that we can discharge into the river, um, which um, uh, is designed to meet the city's needs for the next 20 or 30 years at least. Mm. Uh, that reuse water, rather than just dispatch it into the river, is uh, we're in, in the plan, process of planning a new reticulated pipeline to bring mm. it back into town and to put it into all our parks and gardens and slaughtering fields. So we'll be <clears throat> green and growing and um, showing to everybody that Goulburn has uh, addressed its water issues and we're benefiting uh, as a result. And in fact, in fact, we've got a brewery, a new brewery, uh, just as you come in from the Canberra entrance on okay. right on the corner opposite the big marina. I might need to write that down yeah, <laughs> on my yeah. way back. <laughs> uh, there's a, there's a, the old uh, Coles Distribution Centre has been <laughs> purchased and set up uh, uh, by a privately owned and operated group who uh, are called Tribe Breweries. Uh, and they have got a big um, um, state-of-the-art brewing operation that's presently going through the commissioning processes. Mm -hmm. And they, uh, you know, they have got big plans. They export mainly into mm -hmm. Asia, uh, but they produce uh, their, some of their own labels. One of their own labels is Stockade Beers. Um, and they wouldn't have come here had they not had a guaranteed water source. So mm -hmm. that's just one uh, case of what water security how that can turn it, turn a place around. Yeah, we've got a <clears throat> poultry processing plant that's being considered now. Uh, it's at North Goulburn. You know, potentially going to employ up to 250, 300 jobs. Mm -hmm. 
Um, that wouldn't come, it's going to be a big user of water and that wouldn't be coming here or looking at Goulburn if it didn't have that guaranteed water supply. Sure. So, so apart from the fact that we don't have water restrictions for ourselves as residents, yeah. we have this added benefit that it attracts business and helps the city grow, uh, which is That's partly what we're here to do. Yeah. Mm. So for our <coughs> podcast, Politics Done Differently, listeners yes. are all across Australia. What do you think that other mayors and councillors of local governments can learn from what you've done with your water supply and your forward planning? Every, every other area is going to have a different set of circumstances, sure. different geographics, uh, you know, different capacity to build a dam, or you know, different opportunity to take a, run a pipeline in. So you know, there, there could be other solutions for different areas, so I'm not one to give advice, but I mean clearly, and, and, and I'm sure you'd find that most of them have considered or looked at the problem. The question is whether they've been committed enough to go further or to, to address the problem uh, or, or to take steps to address it. <clears throat> Invariably, s- small communities, take Walker, there's another one that's currently uh, in, in, in some sort of trouble. It's a small community. Uh, a small community can't afford to raise the sort of funds that are needed to build dams or to build pipelines on their own. Just as we could, we, you know, we, we, uh, twenty million dollars of that come from federal government, twenty million come from state government. We put in ten million to do the pipeline. Uh, all these other works, though, we've done uh, through our own resources, or we've sought grant funding. But it's been a very staged and uh, direct and purposeful project, and that's what it needs. Yeah. It needs to. What's the best solution? Mm-hmm. Explore that. Spend some money. Take the time. Uh, and then make a commitment to follow that path, and that's what they need to do. And uh, yeah, I think that I think that uh, a lot of a lot of councils have gone started to go down that track, but it's maybe got too hard or too expensive, or uh, the opportunities weren't there, and it's fallen away. And it's never a problem until it is. And yes. Now with the drought, it is a problem. So yeah. um, I think you just got to move on and get it done because it'll drought will come again yes mm. it's been in the past i remember my parents were living in country new south wales during the drought in the 70s or 80s and they were running a farming business and had to pack up and leave tamworth yeah. for that exact reason because there was just no money in and it tamworth so. is one of the places that's in trouble again now yeah yeah so yeah. history does repeat itself <laughs> well <clears throat> there's a, a big dam between here and crookle uh, the PJR Dam. It's got, you know, wonderful. I, I, I can't tell you the number because I'm not that smart to remember, but but it's got a great uh, capacity for storage. When it was built, and it was in about the 1980s, I wasn't in Golden then, uh, it was built, and I'm told that at the time, the question, the way they got the water to Golden was to release it, you know, at the dam and let it run and follow the river, the Wallandilly River down to Golden into the Rossi Weir and from which it was pumped back into town and processed, etc. But a great bulk of that water is lost because it comes down the river mm-hmm. and it seeps in all the cracks and gullies and dry, you know, fills sure. up all the land around and, and by the time it gets to, to Golden, most of it has been depleted. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the suggestion was to put a pipeline in so that there was a dedicated route for that water to come and it would, it would all get here. But at the time, it was going to cost $3 million, or thereabouts. And oh, it was much too dear, so we, we didn't have that. So that was in the 1980s, come 2000, 
a bit after, we've got the drought again, haven't we? Yeah. And that $3 million would have been very well spent mm. all those years before had it been done. And now, here we are again, uh, 10 years or so after we've done the Highland Source um, uh, Pipeline, $50 million. Uh, ask me if that's a good investment. Yeah. And I would say, well, if I had to build it again today, it would probably cost me double that. Yeah. <clears throat> if we didn't have it, we'd be in the same dire straits as every other place in regional New South Wales. So it'll never be as cheap as it is today. Mm -hmm. um, you've just got to find a way to make it happen. Uh, yeah. Sort of bite the bullet. And, you know, how do we tell everybody they're going to have to cough up for this? Yeah. yeah. Somehow or other, it's got to be done. Yeah. Uh, it, the drought will come around again. And sure. uh, you'll be wishing you did it <laughs> yes. 20 years ago. So you sound like you're a very strategic thinker. Um, <laughs> and you said before that you had a little bit of experience in private enterprise before you came to politics. Yeah, I'm Can you, yeah, yeah. yeah, tell me a little bit more about your life before jumping in local government. Well, yeah, <laughs> well things got pretty interesting. When I was a young fella, mm. uh, <clears throat> I, I was born and bred here in Goulburn. And at 18, uh, well, before I, was, before I took a job, in, I took a job as a junior in the Commonwealth Bank when I was mm -hmm. 18. Prior to that, I was an apprentice barber. That's where you learned everything. That's where life's experiences rush past you in a very, a 16-year-old fellow learns a whole lot in a barber shop <laughs> at that time of life. Uh, um, but in, in 1966, I joined the Commonwealth Bank as a junior down the road here. And uh, uh, a couple of years later, as bankers do, I got moved away and I went to Canberra first. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I got sent off to a series of postings around country New South Wales, as bankers do. And uh, <clears throat> 25 years later, the bank in their wisdom decided to send me back to Goulburn as the manager, which had a nice twist, but it wasn't by any great desire of design. I, it was the way the, the wheels turned. Sure come back to Goulburn and forgot what a good old place it was. In a very short space of time, my wife was happy, very, very much so, to be here in Goulburn. Mm -hmm. Great place to live and to, to do everything. Uh, my two girls were about, my eldest was about to start high school and um, uh, it was time to have a bit of stability in their life because they'd yeah. moved from pillar to post up until then. <clears throat> so we stayed and then I stayed another seven or eight years in the bank here and then, then I left the bank in 1998 after 31 years in the Commonwealth Bank, wow. or 32 years, whatever it was. And um, I very much enjoyed my job, but it went down the privatisation path that took away a lot of the customer service angle of what we provided. Sure. Um, that was sort of more my focus than, than worrying about how many sales per day I could get and yeah. all that sort of stuff. So then I went off and I worked for a car dealer for a while, mm -hmm. um, uh, did finance and insurance. Uh, I went and worked at uh, one of the local licence clubs. Uh, I managed the big merino complex up on the highway there for a spell. Uh, I went and worked for another club. I worked for an accountant. Uh, so I had more jobs in the space of about 10 years than I've ever had in my life. Oh, wow. and, uh, <clears throat> and in the latter part, I, I ended up as secretary manager down at the local golf club, yep. where I was until I retired about, I don't know, six or seven years ago. Yep. In the meantime, in 2008, I got on the council when the mm -hmm. water thing was the, all the go. Sure. And then there I was, got all excited about it, and said, I'm going to put my hand up and get on there and we're going to sort this out and blah, 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 blah. And I got elected. <clears throat> and then I got on and then I thought, now what? <laughs> uh, I had no political uh, uh, thought processes or aspirations mm -hmm. at all. It was just 
frustration at the fact that we were running out of water and we had, didn't have an answer or we didn't have it addressed. So I came on the council in 2008, I was Deputy Mayor uh, from that point on up until uh, 2016. Mm -hmm. uh, the Mayor of the day, at the time then didn't re-stand and so when I did and got it re-elected, um, we looked around and thought, you know, who's going to do this job and here I am. <laughs> and I've, so I've been Mayor coming up, uh, I'm in my third year now, mm -hmm. uh, almost my last year of this current term. Yep. It comes up for re-election again next September next year. Yep. So so that's that's how I got into it. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm into it, and worse still, is I don't have a job of work in terms of paid employment mm -hmm. to interrupt my day. So I spend most of my time in here, yep. terrorising the poor staff, <laughs> and dreaming up uh, the sorts of things that we need to address. Sure. Uh, we've got a very cohesive... Uh, council uh, we don't have party politics we don't have you know color teams we we all have our differences in terms of uh, where our loyalties might sit of course uh, but we deal with matters on merit mm -hmm. uh, in, in every case and um, we can agree on this item now and the next item will disagree and the next one will agree and the next one will argue about yep. and then we'll all sit down and have dinner together afterwards and still be able to have a sensible conversation and carry on the business of council without you know having that sort of divisive yes. approach to things yeah. so i like to think that we we have, that's one of the reasons why goulburn at the moment is enjoying the sorts of benefits and growth that it is yeah. because we've got a cohesive council we've set a pretty clear direction uh, we're doing things to improve uh, the, the, the local scene i mean my attitude is <coughs> My, I've got no aspiration beyond the local council. Mm -hmm. um, I like to keep the local in local government. Yes. Not get tied up with worrying about what the state government's doing. You can't ignore it. You've mm -hmm. got to be involved. You've got to understand it. And you've got to play the game and follow the, the, the paths that you need to go down in order to do what local government's about. Yeah. But um, I'm not going to be out there sort of saying, getting involved in their, their politics Yes. To the extent that I don't, I don't need to. I just want to be able to worry primarily about here and making it livable. Uh, that's all. Uh, you know, you hear the word livability used all the time, and I use it all the time. Yeah. But we are doing things in government that does improve the livability, such that Katarina Sullivan is going to want to move to Golden because it's such a wonderful place. Just for example. Yes. <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> it's actually not too bad of a drive from Canberra, but <laughs> well, and, see, and that's one of the reasons, partly one of the, the reasons why we're growing, because we are, you know, an hour, you know, sort of fifty minutes to some places, an hour twenty to the other side, perhaps. Mm. But <clears throat> and it's a cruisy drive. It is. It's a cruisy drive down there, and there's something like fifteen hundred people do it every day. Mm. So I'm told. Uh, and I don't know whether that's in 1,500 different cars, which is a bit of a problem. <laughs> uh, but there's an equal number go north, that go uh, to the Highlands, some go to Wollongong, uh, some uh, go to the southern Sydney suburbs and mm -hmm. uh, areas to work, and some go to the CBD. Not necessarily daily, but uh, there are people who have home-based business and industry uh, that are living, uh, that have sold up out of Sydney or Canberra, mm -hmm. come here because of the affordability and the connectivity and the fact that everything that they need in the place is here or if yeah. it's not here now, it's 
on the drawing board, yeah. like wildflowers, soon yes. going to be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they've got a great council yes. to look after them. And a great mayor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just think that yeah, that's one of the, the, the things about Canberra, when I mm. said about you. Yes. We want people to see. Uh, I had a former deputy, uh, former deputy mayor of the old Goulburn mm. City Council come to me just recently and made this very nice remark. He said, I can't get over how good the place is going, he said. He's lived here all his life. He said, and I go down any street or around any corner or down any new road and there's things happening. There's something either being built or there's a new subdivision or there's a new home or there's a new business or there's new playgrounds or the, you know, there's new facilities and roadworks are being done or footpaths are being built and all of those sorts of things. Yeah. And he was, he just wanted to say what a good job we were doing, which was always nice to hear. We do hear the old person say that we're not doing enough and I accept that. You know, it's not possible to um, fix every pothole and tar every, seal every road and to, to do all the things that everybody expects, but we try to do our fair proportion of every bit of those things and sure. equitably send the money around the community and uh, try to provide then some overarching benefits and infrastructure that services everybody generally and not anybody yeah. specifically. So, well, you know, I like to think we're on the right track. I mean, every council would say that. Yes. Every council <laughs> would say that, and they should. But, you know, we're doing our best, and yeah. I think it's coming through in the results we've seen. We've, we've had sustained growth in Goulburn for the last five or six years, about 1.5% or something like that, you know, which is five or 600 new residents every year, yeah. thereabouts. Uh, we've got probably a couple of thousand residential blocks coming on market over uh, various stages in the very foreseeable. Mm -hmm. We've got documents out on exhibition, that's what we we're going to talk about. Yes, really, yeah. Communication. <laughs> <laughs> but we've got documents out there about uh, uh, getting the community's feedback on future growth and yeah. where would we like to see it or where do we want to see it or what sort of growth do we want to see or do we want to see growth yes. any, beyond a certain limit, etc. So we get the community's feedback to guide us in setting you know, where we open up areas for development or plan for our infrastructure. Yeah. So, you know, it's constant churn. Yes. Constant churn. And that community consultation process, mm -hmm. um, when did that really start kicking off for you? Uh, I've got to say, it's it's always been pretty good in the terms time that I've been on our council where, you know, our uh, if we talked about our future growth, yes. that's only started in... Uh, uh, probably we've been doing that for 18 months, two years now. Interesting how it turns out. <clears throat> you know, we've engaged consultants to yes. work with our planning people and we've got strategic planners here who mm -hmm. I like to say are, are, are very good. Um, <clears throat> we've had a bit of change in those people in the jobs over during the, the period. And with that change come different thinking. Mm -hmm. um, as I said, we engage consultants. They then we run you know, community workshops. Uh, we invite interested parties. You know the the developers, uh, the architects, uh, you, know, you know the people who sort of you know, focus on um, growth and development. Uh, the entrepreneurs uh, and to hear their views and the property owners in the around surrounding areas. Sure. And we get them in and we 
have a bit of workshop, say, listen, we know the place is grown, we're gonna run out of land, what would you rather? Infill development in the urban area, or higher density housing, potentially, or would you like to see the boundaries spread more widely, uh, more regional, uh, what do you call it, uh, rural residential living, and that sort of thing? And that's very much the feedback we get. Um, and so that all gets pulled together by the consultants who have then put uh, uh, put their reports together and they come to council. We then for, sent that report out for community, more community you know, feedback. As a result of a lot of the feedback that we got, there were people who hadn't been engaged in the first consultation process who went to great depth uh, and expense to make very worthwhile submissions to the extent that they basically made us stop and say, hey, we better start again. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of good information come out uh, from the community in mm-hmm. this feedback process that has made us think or rethink what we had in mind to do. Yeah. And I think that's the, the, the perfect example of mm-hmm. effective community consultation. Well, you could argue that you should have had it right in the first place so yeah. it didn't have to go back to the boards. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> the fact is, it's about listening. And uh, we've listened and now we're reworking that, that consultation process on future uh, urban and fringe housing growth. And um, hopefully we will have it right, such that the community will be accepting of it. Yeah. Um, that's the whole intention. Mm. Um, and you know, we don't necessarily say we know everything. Yes. You know, so uh, it's a good participation uh, exchange uh, sure. with community and with council. Yeah. I mean, there's only nine of us. To, to represent the, the collective thoughts of the community and if we don't act on what they tell us then we're acting on what we think we know mm. uh, it can be poles apart there yes mm. it sure can <laughs> so what do you think prompted the bigger engagement at the release of that first report the rural residential living mm-hmm. is one of the things that attracts people to golden well sorry not just golden there's plenty of examples of, of why that makes people move to a lot of uh, regional areas. Mm-hmm. You know, our neighbours, Upper Lachlan, Crookwell, uh, Yass Valley, I mean, they have the same demand. People like to be able to move out of the very urban environment yes. and buy their block, even if it's only, you know, 2,000 square metres. Mm-hmm. You know, mate, ideally everyone likes, you know, a five-acre or a 10-acre block where they can put a house, you know, they can put a shed, they can run a horse and a couple of sheep and let the dogs go berserk chooks and watch the birds and feel the breeze and enjoy that rural atmosphere even, and but not have to be a farmer. <clears throat> Everyone likes it. Mm-hmm. But there's only a limit on those number of blocks that are available at any time. And there's only a restricted area where they can be developed. And then as you get a little further away from town, the block sizes are mandatorily bigger. So a lot of people are buying those bigger 100 acre blocks when really they only want the five or 10 acres. And they only look after the five or 10 acres and the other 90 acres goes to rack and ruin. It grows weeds, feral animals, fences fall down, they're fire hazards because they're not farmers. Mm-hmm. They're not there to look after those rural necessities and that then creates a range of other problems. I have a view <clears throat> despite what our New South Wales Department of Planning thinks about 
the number of re rural residential blocks we should have or do have around our, our urban area. Uh, I think that uh, if I owned all that land around there, I'd be very keen to see it all split up into you know, 5, 10, 20 acre lots so that yeah. people have choices of sizes, but of smaller sizes. Um, and they can buy it and manage that land in a much more effective way than it currently is, and uh, the demand would be well and truly there. Yeah. Might flood the market a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I think it's a much better outcome than having people, blockings as they get referred to around the traps, yeah. uh, on, on a much larger portions of land than they really want or need or can look after. Yeah. So uh, I know and accept that the problem with it is it's using up potentially good agricultural land. Mm -hmm. uh, and that may be the case. <clears throat> but if it was good agricultural land, it would be returning something to the owners now and they wouldn't be looking to sell yeah. or subdivide them. Most of the land that these sort of developments occur on are the, the butt end of the land, you know, yeah. the hilly rocking pieces that nobody really wants, but for a, someone just looking for a little lifestyle block, sure. they love it. Yeah. I got one. <laughs> I've got two and a half acres of, I tell everybody I'm a rock farmer. Oh. It's a hot rock. <laughs> Where I, live. I love my patch. Yeah. Yeah. So all I'm hearing right now is that it's a good idea to go out and get a real estate license for this upcoming <laughs> subdivision yeah. process. Uh, well, mm. I, I think the real estate agents in Gold will tell you that there's plenty. Yeah. And there, and there is. Uh, uh, there, uh, I think uh, demand outstrips supply at the moment in terms of the sorts of blocks I'm talking about. Sure. Uh, just at the minute, in terms of uh, in town, um, I think anything that comes on the market is pretty popular, but there's mm -hmm. not a lot. I think people are sort of backing off a little bit the impacts of you know, Sydney and other markets that have sort of peaked and sort of have in a bit of a lull <clears throat> is having a bearing here, but not, not too bad. I mean, prices are holding up, and mm -hmm. that's that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, no, so we've got a lot. Of, you know, we've got so many other things going on in the place in terms yeah. of the livability thing. I mean, you only have to go up here to Victoria Park, and you know we've got <clears throat> we've. Four months ago, we opened up this new adventure playground, which has been the best thing since sliced bread for kids. Oh, wow. oh they love it. And uh, we're, we're very popular amongst the mums and dads in the community for that. Yep. We've done, uh, progressively, we've been developing up a walking trail along the Wallandilly River, mm -hmm. which is just ever so popular. So many people use it. It's one of the best things we've ever done. The Wallandilly River has always been there mm -hmm. in the previous years. Nobody has decided to make a feature of it. And now we're sort of moving down that track. Yeah. We've put this walking path in, it's uh, about five kilometres of it at this stage, but it's planned to keep, continue basically right around the city. Yeah. So uh, the users on that, I wouldn't know the numbers, but they're, you know, they're, they sing our praises constantly on it, so I'm happy to take that. Oh, fantastic. Uh, <clears throat> you know, we've got it, we've got, on exhibition at the moment, we've got plans for a Japanese garden up here in Victoria Park, mm -hmm. it's, and it's a quite a quite a big garden, yeah. um, and it's in association with our sister city uh, in Japan, Shibetsu City, mm -hmm. um, and uh, we've had a 20-year association with them. And to mark that anniversary, we're developing up this uh, Japanese garden, and the plans for it are down before you when you go out. You should have a look. Okay. Quite lovely. Oh, okay. It'll be something different, yeah. you know, and we've got a 
new aquatic centre. There's a major redevelopment. That's uh, $38 million worth of redeveloping the aquatic centre. It's a new skate park currently under construction. Mm -hmm. We've just opened up a, a rage cage up in Victoria Park for the kids. Yeah. We've built a new uh, a pavilion at the Seaford Oval, which is a, mainly a cricket oval. Uh, it's a cycling facility and uh, and it's used for other sports on on the oval and uh, that we haven't even we haven't had the opening of that just yet. It's almost finished. Uh, uh, yeah, we've got plans to build a four hundred seat um, performing arts centre in the old town hall in the main street. Wow. It's all a, happening. We've got a new museum being built up on Rocky Hill. Yeah. Uh, we've had, as I said, the new um, wastewater management system put in out out at uh, the northern end of town. And there's all this residential uh, development going on. Yeah. So yeah, you know, there's a lot happening in the place. As I say, oh, trees. We've uh, we've planted more trees. And the bloke who's in charge of our parks and gardens said to me the other day, I think he's worked for council for 27 years or something. He reckons he's planted more trees in the last three or five years than he has in all the other years that he's worked on the wow. council. We've That's planted fantastic. on all our. We're, we're planting out all our entrances in and out of town. Mm -hmm. We're replacing all the trees that have sort of died or been pulled out or killed by, or cut down by people uh, along the streets uh, in town. Uh, we've increased the plantings in the parks. Uh, we did it, we've created an avenue of honour over at East Grove. Yeah. Um, yeah, all to do with the livability. Yes. The livability of a place. Yeah. And how do you communicate all these fantastic projects that you're working on to the population? <clears throat> well, we have a young man out there who's mm -hmm. uh, our communications and media man manager is also a business development officer, yeah. Jackson Reardon. Now, Jackson uh, does a marvellous amount of work in uh, putting out media releases to uh, all those points. Yeah. We could add you to our list. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, mainly to the, the radio station and the local paper. The local paper's three day a week publication, and there's mm -hmm. a one day a week free, mm -hmm. uh, free publication. There is uh, the FM and AM uh, radio station and uh, there's a community radio that we provide all this information to as we go along. Yep. We've, uh, we've got a Facebook page that he manages and he, he pulls a lot of information onto that because yep. it seems that's the place you get, your, you get your information these days. Yes, it sure is. Um, uh, we have workshops, mm -hmm. which we advertise, of course. Uh, workshops, we have drop-in sessions if we need them. Obviously, face to face is always a good way to talk to people. Yeah. Um, I have uh, a column in the like the two papers uh, every week where I put snippets in there about what's coming up or what we want to do or what the latest bright idea is and yeah. float it out there and see what happens. Uh, I go to the radio stations each week and do a, a little spot every Monday and Tuesday. Mm -hmm. uh, just to inform people you know, over the airwaves about what we do. Yep. Uh, yeah, and then of course there is the, the more, you know, the normal public submission process where, where things go on exhibition, mm -hmm. like DAs and the like. Community neighbours are informed by letters and the like and they're invited to make comment if they want. Yep. Yeah, so what else do we do? We've got a we've got a dedicated online uh, consultation website. Mm -hmm. It's called Your Say Goal, mm -hmm. where we put uh, various topics, uh, surveys, forums, maps up on 
display yeah. and people can get on there and interact and tell us what they like and don't like. And, oh, brilliant. Yeah, and so we get feedback in that sort of way. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's the sort of sorts of things that we do do. Yeah. Plus it's inevitable that wherever one goes, you know, people say, ah, the mayor. Yes. Grab you by the <laughs> collar and they tell you what they want to tell you. And yeah. So you get a lot of face-to-face feedback. <clears throat> Uh, I'm just doing the rounds. Yeah. Just going to lunch. <laughs> and do you have much engagement with young people in all of those processes that you spoke uh, well, about? Well, to the extent that you can. Mm-hmm. Um, I go to all the schools a couple of times a year for different reasons. Um, uh, next week, the week after, I think, is mm-hmm. coming up for National Tree Day. Sure. So I think I'm doing 18 schools or something during oh, that wow. period. Um, one, to, one to the other mm-hmm. to go and say hello to kids talk about trees and their value plant a tree in each of the schools yeah. um, and uh, I go to you know if I don't go some of the other councillors will go to their you know end of year presentation yeah. um, I have a pretty good relationship but I go to a few more functions than that with the high schools mm-hmm. uh, council itself we have uh, for example we have a uh, education officer in our waste management section and she goes off and talks to kids about recycling and waste management and what we're doing helping to try to educate them into uh, good ways uh, that that ultimately we'll see some benefit of down the track yes Uh, you know so we uh, we do that we've got a youth council Mm -hmm. we have our own youth council here in in the council building uh, which is open two kids from about, I think they're from 14 to 25. Um, and uh, so they come along and they have a youth mayor. Yeah. And they have a, you know, they have a, they use the council chambers down here. Oh, wow. On a Friday evening for their meetings. Mm-hmm. And the mayor sits up the front. And, uh, <laughs> <coughs> and then they have a secretary who's like the general manager and he mm-hmm. records everything and gives everybody up that. They have a treasurer. They have a budget. Yeah. They, they conjure up some community projects that they might want to uh, run, yep. send it around youth. Uh, we give them a we give them a grant every year to manage, no, and off they go and they do their little reports on what they're going to do and how much it's going to cost, and they keep their minutes and they're, they're learning yep. uh, that process. But they're also very effective uh, uh, ways of getting these young people involved in local government things. Yeah. Um, works very well actually yeah i mean and they do a bit of uh, um, uh, catering for us for example we have a every christmas and midway through the year we have a volunteer what we call a volunteers christmas party or just mm-hmm. a big year party where we invite all the people who volunteer at various council uh, facilities come along we have a dinner and yeah. so the youth council goes out and does the catering they, oh, wow. they cook up a storm and Oh, just fantastic. dish it all up and they take it out and serve it up to all the volunteers. Yeah. And uh, so they engage with the volunteers and they themselves get to, to be involved in senior activities to some extent. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've got a, we've got a, a little coffee shop mm-hmm. uh, operating down in the library downstairs. Okay. And it's been run by our community services uh, manager, mm-hmm. uh, but it's run by by youth, mm. by young people who, you know, a lot of them are not able to get jobs. Mm-hmm. So they developed up this coffee shop, they invested in that, 
kids come along, they sign up to do certain shifts, they get taught, they get through a, they get put through a hospitality certification. Yep. They go off at the end of it if they complete the process yep. with a certificate saying that they've done this level of uh, wow. practical work in a hospitality related thing. A few of them have gone off, I forget the numbers, wish I thought to get this, but they're good, good outcomes. Yeah. <clears throat> Where kids have gone off and got jobs. Yep. Some of them just casual, some of them have got full-time jobs. Mm -hmm. As a result of having been able to say that I have worked as a barista, I've got a certificate to say I've been proficient in hospitality, in um, you know, cash handling, in yep. customer service, in making coffee. Yes. Uh, in, uh, so that's down in our regional library. That's been going for about, no, I don't know, six months. Mm -hmm. It's been a roaring success. Yeah. And it's close handy here, and you only have to go downstairs and go. <laughs> so it's a win-win situation, oh. that one. <laughs> well, I always reckon the coffee shop in the civic centre would have been a good idea, and yeah. here's the proof. Yeah. Um, so we've got that. Uh, you know, we've got, a, as I say, the youth council. Yeah, no, we do engage. Uh, I like to think we engage. Yeah, there are limits. You need it needs to be two-way. We can open the doors up, but we're, you know, a lot of young people sort of find it. Um, a bit confronting, I guess, to, to have to deal with adults in a serious world. And, yeah. Uh, it, you know, it takes a while to break that down. Yeah. Uh, we just went through a recent uh, community consultation group downstairs where we had all the service providers to various youth um, needs and, you know, PCYC and, uh, 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 you know, the Mission Australia, um, Anglicare, and looking at ways in which we're talking about building a youth centre or developing up a youth centre. We've got a, a community centre down in the main street, which is like a drop-in place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah, we, we try to engage, yeah. you know, uh, to the extent that you can. Yeah, well, I think local government is the best place for young people to start engaging in politics because mm. it's just that little bit closer to home, a little bit more community-based, and so it's not as intimidating as state and federal government. Oh, so. yeah. yeah, and, you know, I think in this day and age, you've got to be a special sort of person to want to go into state and federal yes. level politics. Yeah. I think it's a different sort of person that goes into local government. Definitely. Uh, but it can be the same. Mm. Uh, you know, anyone can go into the local government sphere, I, I, I believe. It's a lot more difficult. Uh, and a lot more um, involved in going into the next level. Yeah. Which is why I'm happy where I am. <laughs> happy here. <laughs> happy with my patch. <coughs> so you speak very positively about your job and your work. Are there any sort of challenges? What's What do you find the most difficult part of being mayor? I think, <laughs> I remember when I first got on, mm -hmm. uh, on the council, and it was all to do with the water, as I said. And uh, so I, my one and only... Um, platform, if you like, was to get onto council to resolve a water issue. Mm -hmm. I had a view, I had a view that we needed to increase our water storage. Mm -hmm. uh, and this idea of pumping water back from 80 kilometres away was, had hairs on it, you know, it was a waste of money. That was my view when I went on there. Yep. By the time we got around to making the decision, I'd done a backflip, simply because I'd been armed with the information. Yes. And shown the facts, delivered, you know, provided all that you know, expertise that I was un unaware of beforehand. So, so uh, it took a long time. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting on the council and I was going, to, I, I said, you know, there's this, and I had all these other little 
things that used to niggle in the back of your head no. that annoyed you. I'm going to get on there and straighten it out. Well, <laughs> I found out that these things take a time. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's the one thing. It is a little frustrating that things do take a lot of time because there is so much process. No. Uh, there are so many rules and regulations. And it's not, it's not necessarily the fault of the council. It is state mm -hmm. or federal. You know, there are all sorts of restrictions or limitations on what you do and don't do. And so that slows the process down. Community consultation is part of that. You know, that's just one step in, of many in, uh, you know, we do things here. I mean, we've got to get Sydney Water Catchment Authorities, uh, or Sydney Water now, I think they're called, mm -hmm. New South Wales Water. Um, we've got to get their okay on it. We've got to get, you know, rural fire services okay on things. We've got to get whatever else. You know. yes. We've got to have native Aboriginal, um, the local land council have to, have input into things. Yeah. There's all these things that all are separate steps on their own and they all have their own time frame yeah. and their own limitations and restrictions and all of that adds up to, you know, if you and I were doing it, we'd say, yeah, we're going to do that today and we'd go off and do it. Yes. But yeah. because this is through local government and you've got to go through all these steps, you go from one to the other to the other to the other and it takes an inordinate amount of time, it gets very frustrating. Yeah. because it doesn't happen quick enough. And people in the main find uh, difficulty in understanding why it takes so long and it's very difficult to, to explain. <laughs> so that's a frustration. Um, and it goes further. Uh, you know, when you're talking big ticket items and you're talking to dealing with state government or federal government, you're talking about bureaucracy, mm. which absolutely drives me nuts. Yeah. Drives me nuts. Especially coming from mm. the private sector and banking where things mm. happen a little bit more quickly. Yeah. I know, coming well, from small business myself. Yeah. Although, funny mm. enough, I think that background in the bank mm -hmm. put me in a good place uh, to be on council because I'm used to process. I'm yes. used to procedure. I'm used to policy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because that's what bank was all about. And there was timelines and time frames and rules and regulations and the like. So I, I did have a sort of a, most part of my working life was around, I think everybody's got rules and regulations, but um, banks, very structured, yes. very structured. And so when I come into this job, very structured, um, it's not too hard to accept. It's just what I expected to start with. Yes, <laughs> I bet. Um, yeah. um, and so in terms of, we've been talking a lot about people engaging in politics, how do you think people can engage more in politics generally, not just local, state or federal, just the general concept of it? So my job as a councillor, mm -hmm. um, as a councillor, and there's nine of us here, uh, is to represent the community, the views of the community. I can only do that if I hear the views, yep. or I'm aware of the views, or, or you know what I mean? So, you know, if you go home and mutter into your beer at the end of the day about buddy council this and that and the other and don't say anything to me or to some other councillor or express it in one of these public forums or the like, I don't know. Although, uh, you never die wondering much now with Facebook. Because <laughs> the experts, they're all on there. But the problem is a lot of the commentary on Facebook and the like is all... Um, a lot of it's very ill-informed, mm -hmm. certainly not informed at all. Yeah. It's just random, off-the-cuff thoughts that people don't understand, mm -hmm. which then distorts the conversations, and it's the same with everything, not just local government. Sure. 
uh, or you just got narcs on there who just want to sit on there and look up anything they can and pull it to pieces or criticise or just make provocative statements just to annoy someone mm -hmm. and it distorts the conversation so unfortunately the, <coughs> you know, the, the, the Facebook world out there is, an un is not, a, not a good indicator but you do, I've got to say, you do pick up and glean some reasonable points out of it uh, and pick up some feedback from it. Uh, you can't ignore it. But it's not very well informed in most cases, which doesn't make it very, it's not a good argument. At all. But, you know, that's, um, but I've got to hear from people, you know, and by and large I do, I've got to say, I'm, I've got a pretty open door sort of style. Uh, people ring my number except for that poor soul who rang before we started. <laughs> I take the calls, you know. Yes. Uh, and I don't worry about them vetting calls out the front here. Yeah. If they ask for me, put it through, yeah. you know. And if they want to see me and I'm free, put them, bring them in, uh, etc. A lot of things I can't handle because I'm not an expert, I'm not a planner, I'm not an engineer, yeah. you know. So you need the support from the staff, which is why we have staff. Yes. And... Uh, uh, but it's all about feedback. Mm -hmm. It's about people putting their views and opinion to me. I invite that all the time. Yeah. Um, well, not all the time, but where I can. Yeah. And um, yeah, so you know, that's how you know, sort of that's what shapes what you think. And, sure. Uh, when you talk about strategic, when we start thinking strategic, we've got to think about it in terms of you know, what we've been told or what we think people are expecting rather than what I'm expecting. Yeah. Been many times, I, I mean, I've had to vote for things and in favour of things that I personally don't like. Mm -hmm. I support it on the basis of either the wider community does or there is, it's no good, it's not breaching any rules or any planning laws or, you know, uh, any codes or, you know, I mightn't like it. Yeah. It doesn't matter voting against it now, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. You get to you go to some places and some organisations where that is what happens. Personal preference prevails. Mm. That's not good community representation. No. Mm. Yeah. You, but you have to bite your tongue sometimes. Don't yeah. You? Mm. you touched on something interesting earlier, and I think it's something that I know anecdotally. I've had conversations with people where they sort of had this skewed idea that politicians should be experts in everything. Yeah. Um, as opposed to understand that there's policy people in, whether it's in local government or in state or federal government, that advise the politicians. Yeah. And then they take all the information and, of course, make their best judgment based judgment off... Judgment call, yeah. Yep, what yeah. they think will be in the best interest of the community and what they hear from what the community wants. Do mm. you work very closely with those policy people within the council here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right next... Oh. Next door is our exec, our exec officer, yep. who pretty much looks after our life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and on the other side of her is the general manager. Yep. Uh, now, he and I, here I am, he's there, we talk all day, back and forth, in and out of each other's office, bouncing mm -hmm. these thoughts and uh, discussions on, and then if I throw something to him mm -hmm. that's outside of his you know, knowledge sphere, he gets the information. It goes to the planners, goes to the uh, engineers and the like, and gets the information. Um, yes, yeah, so you've got to you've got to refer to uh, the right sources yeah. to, to draft your 
conclusions, I guess. I mean, doesn't everyone? Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, from my p- p- perspective, uh, I'm all about, as I said, the local and local government. Mm-hmm. I'm all about the Golden Mawari area first and foremost. So all of the, the planning and the thinking and the, is, is in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we have to, as I said, uh, uh, go to a state government uh, mm-hmm. to push our barriers, to, to you know, seek funding, to, mm-hmm. to, to, to get changes in their attitude and policy. I mean, uh, going back to my rail trail, mm-hmm. uh, I've got a business case before, before state government at the moment. Not doesn't fit within any policy they're currently got or any program they're currently got. It's just a one-off-the-cuff sort of uh, project that I'm trying to convince them that there's benefit in pursuing. Mm. Uh, my general manager has been uh, a strong advocate for changes in relation to uh, superannuation uh, within the local government sector. Uh, and he's widely known for that. Yeah. Uh, and so those, uh, you know, there, we all take different issues on board uh, and pursue them to varying degrees of success mm. <laughs> or with varying degrees of zeal. <laughs> I like what I do, yeah. I must say. I'm, as I said, fortunate that I have the time to dedicate to it because no, I defy anybody to do this job and hold a, a full-time job of work yeah. and do them both properly. Yeah. I remember when I first got like <laughs> Council. It was the same time as I took the secretary manager's job on at the golf club, which yeah. was uh, initially intended to be only a short-term appointment, and I was very happy that it extended. But a friend of mine made the remark that there were two jobs going in Golden that no one wanted. Mm-hmm. I got both of them. <laughs> one at the golf club and Golden the council. <laughs> Interestingly, uh, they both did happen at the same time. And it, I felt very bad about being on council and trying to do a new job at the same time. Yeah. And it did in, at that stage it was early and I was learning. Mm-hmm. So it didn't impact on my time down there as much as it, though it would have now. But it did impact on my time as a paid employee of the, the club. Yes. And I could tell that some of the membership down there were probably thinking, well, why are we paying this bloke to run our club when he's all the time chuffing off to this council meeting or got someone in his office on council stuff. Yeah. So I was very conscious of that. Yeah. Now, uh, for others, and uh, you know, there's one other councillor, our deputy mayor is like me, he's retired, and he's got plenty of time to dedicate to, to the role. Yeah. But all the others have jobs. <clears throat> and so all the others are impacted uh, by what they can either contribute to their council role, or how much they'll let the council role impact on their work role. Yes. Uh, and I know that. So it's a pretty good, I think it's a good case for councillors to be remunerated in a way uh, that's representative of the responsibility that goes with their job. Uh, it's a subject that the uh, state government doesn't seem to want to address. They all will say they all recognise that count the mayors and councillors are underpaid. Mm-hmm. We do get an allowance. Yeah. Uh, and it varies from based on the size of the council. But I dismiss that. I don't think um, the work for many councils is any different. You know, yep. you know, you've got to still do the same things. It's just the dollar signs are bigger. You know, yep. and <laughs> the budgets are bigger. Yeah. Uh, Etc. 
your role and your responsibility is still still pretty high. Uh, you know, a lot of the far western regional councils, like those councils, only see each other every time they have a meeting once mm -hmm. a month. So I suppose, in, in real terms, the amount of time they actually spend in the council building is minimal because some of them will live hundred miles away. Sure. Um, uh, but nonetheless, their responsibility is still pretty high. Uh, uh, there's no doubt that they are constantly getting calls and uh, requests from constituents seeking their involvement at a council level. Yeah. Uh, I just think that uh, you know, the old adage about you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. Well, yeah. I'm, the, I'm the biggest monkey <laughs> in the place. Uh, some of us have a sense of community, mm -hmm. I guess, responsibility and that sort of thing, and that's good. That's what keeps the place hum along. And when I go, there'll be someone else will step up. Don't you worry. Yeah. You know? um, but... Um, yeah, I think uh, that's a question that needs to be faced very seriously by the uh, state government. Yeah. I mean, Brisbane councillors, I mean, they're on 100,000 a year or something. Mm -hmm. uh, our councillors get uh, 18,000 or thereabouts. Oh, my goodness. Allowance. So it's not like you make, you're getting a living for it. Yeah. It's, it's community service. Yeah. And that, that amount of money is designed to re recompense you for, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what you spend or travel and... Yeah. Uh, Potentially, some element of time. Mm -hmm. It's 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 not in it because you're in the in it mm -hmm. because of the money. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people unjustly think that we're all we're all getting backhanders and mm -hmm. we're in it for ourselves and we're all developers or speculators. Mm -hmm. and the like nothing could be farther from the truth. Uh, you know, I know that's happened from place to place, but there's always yes. a bad egg in many baskets. But um, yes. Mm, but not here. No. Not here. Oh, that's We're here for all the good, re the good and right and proper reasons. I got yeah. to tell you. Uh, I, th I expect that uh, most of our councillors have been on the council for going on to twelve years now. Oh wow! One of them's been on council for thirty something years, thirty six years. Uh, another one's been on council for about sixteen years. Uh, and as I say, there's a couple of relatively new councillors. They'll be mm -hmm. coming, finishing off their first term, but all the others are on their. Done this will be their third term. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good contribution by anybody's count. Yeah. And uh, come next September, there'll be more elections to be had in this town. Yes. It'll be interesting to see what what the voters out there <laughs> are uh, thinking about what we've done, whether all of this that I've just told you about how good we are mm -hmm. is resonating. Yeah. So will you be running again, or have you not yeah. made that decision? No, no, I. When I first got on council, I thought if I if I were to go and mm -hmm. uh, uh, sorry, then I, one term, then I stood for re-election, got re-elected, and mm -hmm. I thought, well, that was pretty good. And the next term on, I, I was all the better for it, you yeah. know, because I'd done a term before. Yeah. And then the next term, uh, I thought I'll go one more term. If I get re-elected, you be. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and three terms would be a good contribution. Mm. Uh, then I become the mayor, uh, so I've got to like the job a lot more simply because I'm involved all the time yeah. and so now when it's coming up in 12 months time or thereabouts mm -hmm. and I get asked the question while I originally had it in my head that that would do me yeah. I'll go home and sort of watch the grass grow or something um, <clears throat> I've changed my mind I, I reckon that uh, I think we're going okay uh, I know there's going to be quite a I reckon probably half the current councils will mm -hmm. not stand again yep 
So that means we're going to have a half at least of new faces. Sure. You need a little bit of continuity. Mm -hmm. I'm in a position to continue on. I enjoy doing what I'm doing. Think I'm doing all right. Hope hope the voters say so. Mm -hmm. And if I do get, if I when the next election comes around, I propose to put my hand up and yep. and uh, stand again. And I think that'll do me. Yeah. I'll be too old and grey, decrepit <laughs> by then. I have to let someone else step up. But but I I, I see that as a, that I could I could do that. Yep. I, I like it. And I think we're doing a reasonable job. And I'd like to see some of these good projects finished. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Well, it sounds like you're doing a remarkable job, mm. um, but I think that is the end of our time today. So, yeah, Mayor Kirk, I just want to thank you so much for your time, which you're obviously not remunerated enough for. <laughs> um, but that, we. That's why I can take as long as I like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, thank you so yeah. much and look forward to chatting to you again sometime soon. Yeah, no, lovely of you to come here. Yeah, thank thank you. you very much. Thank you for tuning in to Politics Done Differently. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to hear more, please go back through our library for more insightful interviews. Please subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at PD Differently. If you want to get involved in the conversation, please hashtag PD Differently. We look forward to seeing you next episode.